I hope that you're excited to be here. I am. And I want to start out by saying welcome to everyone joining us at all of our campuses today, our Banta campus, our Franklin campus. If you're watching in our online campus, whether locally or throughout the country or even throughout the world, we want to welcome you. Also want to welcome our microsites, uh, the Theodora House, and those of you watching in the Johnson County Jail as well. And for the very first time, I want to welcome our Garfield Park campus. Can we give it up to them? So exciting to have you with us today. First time, first time video streaming to you guys. So welcome to the family. And uh, if you're new here with us at any of our campuses or microsites, we're in a series right now called The Unhurried Life or The un un Unhurry. Really, it's about the unhurried life. And in week number one, basically what we said is that many people today struggle living a hurried, hectic, frantic, sort of frenzied life. Hurry is, is sort of a mindset, it's sort of a condition. In our world today, people have actually identified something called hurry sickness. It's a mindset, it's a condition that people are in. And it's, it's because we're always on the go, we're running from here to there, from work to dropping our kids off and extracurricular activities and, and we just have all these things spinning with social media and, and, and all these different things with email and all, all the things going on in our lives. And we're always in a hurry. And what we've said in this series, and we started out by saying, is that you never really meet someone that's in a hurry who's also very happy. Usually a person who's in a hurry is they're, they're, they're frustrated, right? They're impatient. Maybe they have anger issues. <laughs> Am I describing you? <laughs> and it's not, it's not common that you meet somebody who's, who's in that mindset, who's in that condition that's experiencing a full, happy, satisfied, enjoyable life. And there's lots of reasons why people are in this kind of condition today. Some of us are addicted to productivity and getting things done. And so... We're, we're, we think, well, the faster we move, the more we can get done. And after all, isn't life about getting things done, right? So, so it's like, go, 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 go. Got to get more done. In our culture today, people value or honor folks that can live this way and get all these things done. In fact, I've heard conversations like this. You've probably had conversations like this. Can you believe her? She always looks good. Her kids are always well-dressed and clean. You know, she looks like she's got a great relationship with her husband. She keeps her house clean. She has a job. How does she get it all? And we lift this woman, whoever she is. We lift her up and we say, oh, she is divine. And I got to be like her and I got to be like him. And, and so we're like, hurry, 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 hurry. Get all these things done because we attach value or honor to people who can, quote, get it all done. You with me? Some of us are in a hurry for a different reason. We're in a hurry because we're completely disorganized. We have misplaced papers that needed to be signed and hand in. We don't know where our phones are, our keys, our purses. We don't know where our wallets are. We've lost track of things. We forget where our appointments are. And, and so because we're so disorganized, am I talking about you? We're in a hurry. It's like, oh my gosh, the pressure and the stress. And we forgot about the meeting. Some of us are disorganized because we are overcommitted. We're overcommitted. We struggle with this thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. Oh, I have to go to that meeting. What if we don't get the deal? What if we don't get the signature? What if we don't, what if I don't meet that person? What if I, what if I miss an opportunity and I have to say yes to this and yes to this and yes to this? Because what if I miss out? What if my children miss out? I can't have my children miss out. And so yes, 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 yes. And so we overcommit 
And that causes us to be in a hurry. Whatever the cause is, I'm telling you, you would agree with me, and I know this is true, that, that hurry is not a condition that is desirable. Happiness and hurry don't go together. Dallas Willard said many years ago, and I've never forgotten it, he said, hurry is the great enemy to the spiritual life. And in this series, what we wanted to do is sort of unpack the statement and talk about why is, that, why is this true? Why is hurry the great enemy to the spiritual life? In week number one, we talked about the first reason. We said the reason that hurry is a great enemy to the spiritual life is because this causes us to make poor choices. Haste makes waste, right? We, we buy things we shouldn't buy. We enter into relationships with people we shouldn't enter into. Like We do things that God never said to do or, or, or that he even desires for us to do, and we make poor choices in our life. And we talked about that in week number one. You can go back and watch it. Number two, the second reason, the second reason why hurry is a great enemy to the spiritual life is real simple. It's in your notes. Hurry makes it hard to love. Hurry makes it hard to love. Have you ever noticed that when you're in a hurry, people are reduced to obstacles? I mean, just get out of my way. You just, all you got to do is get in your car during rush hour when it's busy time. It's like, and you'll see this, you know, people will, will give you the signal with their fingers to tell you that you are, you are a miserable, awful person. You should never drive ever again. And here's a sign for you, you know, (laughs) and they just throw it up at you. When you're in a hurry, people are reduced to obstacles. They're problems to be overcome. I asked my wife the other day, I said, hey, honey, when was the last time I was unloving because I was in a hurry? And she laughed. (laughs) I didn't expect her to laugh. I was like, what's that all about? And I kind of poked in. I said, well, why did you laugh? And she said, because it was yesterday. (laughs) I said, what happened yesterday? And I remembered it was this dinner we were trying to go to. And it was at 6.30. And, and my son is involved in this sport, and it was kind of the rewards ceremony for all the families were invited. Some of you were there. And uh, it was at 6.30, and so, you know, to get five people to a certain location at a certain time, it's a challenge, you know? You know, uh, you know so you got to get dressed and clean and washed and, you know, in the car and everybody together. And so I like to be places, like for me, on time is 10 minutes early. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't understand that, I think Jesus loves you. <laughs> I mean, we'll find out, you know? <laughs> so I like to be there a little early, and so everybody's, and, and, and as we're getting in the car, I noticed that my son has got deodorant streaks down his shirt. And I'm like, because he put deodorant on first, and then the shirt over the top, and it rubs, and I'm like, oh, dude, you can't go like that. Put the car back in park, go back in the house, change your shirt. And then I look at my other son, and he's got socks on with shorts that don't match his shoes, and I'm like, oh. And I try to say, please, please go back in and change your socks. They don't match it. But you have to pick your battles. I didn't win that one. So finally, my other son comes back. We're, 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 we're leaving the neighborhood. We're almost out of the neighborhood. And my wife looks at me. She says, oh, honey, stop. I forgot my phone. And I look at her, I swear, with a, with, with a, with a thought of, I, I could divorce you right now. <laughs> like, where's the papers? Where's the paper? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I did shoot her a look like, what is wrong with you, woman? <laughs> and I didn't say it, but, but she said something. She said, wow, our family is really on top of things. I said, speak for yourself. <laughs> it just came out. And she thought I was so arrogant and prideful. And I was because I've forgotten my phone before. And I've gotten deodorant on my shirt. I mean, but I'm, but, yeah, I'm in a hurry. Like, you people are the problem. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that we're in, when you're in a hurry, it is very difficult to love? 
People are just problems to be overcome. Get out of my way. Jesus tells a great story. He tells a great story in Luke chapter 10 about this. Somebody comes to him one day, Jewish man comes to him and says, well, okay, what do you have to do to inherit eternal life? Just lay it out. Jesus says, well, what does Moses say? Well, the guy quotes Moses. Well, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus says, hey, do that and you'll be great. He says, well, Moses also says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then so, Mo, so, so, so he asked Jesus, he says, well, then who's my neighbor? He's trying to kind of push in and justify himself. And then Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 10 to kind of show him who the neighbor is. A Jewish man was traveling from, from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked. We would say he was mugged today by a bunch of bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Then something interesting happens. By chance, a priest, a pastor, someone like me, paid staff of a church came along. But when he saw the man lying, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed on by. This guy's dying. He could barely breathe. He's been beat up. Just passes on by. Then a temple assistant stops by. Someone else who's on staff at the temple. Paid church staffs also comes along. He takes a look at the guy and he also passes by on the other side. How interesting. Jewish man, beat up, left for dead. Jewish priest, Jewish temple assistant should have stopped. This is a member, of, probably a member of their temple and they pass right on by. Then this third character enters the picture, a despised Samaritan. Why does Jesus say he's despised? Well, Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile. The Jews hated them because they looked down upon them as being a mixed race. They weren't pure Jews. And so the Samaritans had the same hatred towards the Jews. There was all of this racial tension. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Then a despised Samaritan who was supposed to hate the Jewish man who was beat up and left for dead. He comes along. And when he saw the man, how interesting, he felt compassion. The person who, the people who were supposed to have compassion walked on by. The person who wasn't supposed to have compassion has compassion and he does something. Going over to the man, he soothes his wounds and with olive oil and wine and he, and he bandages the guy up. Then he takes it a step further, puts a man on his donkey, takes him into town, checks him into the inn where he took care of him. The next day, I don't know if you've ever caught this in the story before, the next day, meaning that he stayed the night, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him this, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. Jesus looks at the man who gave him the question, the original question. He says, well, who do you think the neighbor was? Who do you think loved his neighbor? And the Jewish man who asked the question couldn't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. So you know what he said? He said, I guess the one who showed mercy. Jesus says, you're right. Go and do the same. My question today about this little story is why didn't the Jewish men stop? Why didn't the paid staff, the pastor, the temple assistant, why didn't they stop to help this man who was beaten up and left for dead? And the answer is simple. Love requires time. They didn't have time. They were, on, they were going somewhere. They were serving God. They had things to do for, for God. I don't have time to stop and take care of this guy. This series is really inspired by a book called The Unhurried Life. In 2014, it was today, uh, Christianity's, today, uh, Christianity Today's uh, Book uh, of Merit. 
I want, you to, I, want, I want you to hear what the author has to say about this particular story in Luke chapter 10. Alan Fadling says this, the priest and the Levite may well have been returning from temple service and were concerned about becoming ceremonially unclean. There are all kinds of rules about touching people like this, like this or bleeding. They're about to be engaged in doing God's work and were perhaps in a hurry to remain faithful to that work. Listen to what he says. They saw the severely wounded man as a distraction, as an interruption of what they were supposed to do for God. Oh, I'm serving God. I don't have time to stop for this guy. Listen, they continue. Furthermore, their schedules may have been too full to accommodate a wounded person on the way. You know why they didn't stop? It's because they didn't have the time. Love requires time, doesn't it? And when we're in a hurry, love is difficult. Love, I would even say love might be impossible because people are reduced to obstacles to walk around. You might think, well, that's a great story. And okay, but what's the point? Why is hurry a great enemy to the spiritual life? And here's the reason in your notes. Because love is the point. Love is the point. It's not about the work that, that you are doing for God. It's not about efficiency. It's not about being a person who, quote, gets it all done. What is life really about? What is the spiritual life really about at its core? It's about love. One time Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said that very simply, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as your South. It's like, that's it. If you fulfill these two, these two rules, these two laws, you will fulfill all of the laws if you just love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth, imagine that, all the languages of every people group in all the world and all the languages of angels, but didn't love others, I'd be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Picture two cymbals just clashing together over and over and over. It's just like, oh, would you stop? It's worthless, it's pointless. That's what Paul says. To drive his point home, he continues, listen, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, can you imagine knowing everything about everything? <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Do you agree, yes or no? He says, if I knew everything about everything, and on top of that, I had faith, such a strong faith that I could speak to the mountains and they would move, if I could do all of that, and, but yet not love others, I would be, say it with me, nothing. It's worthless. He continues to drive his point home. If I gave everything I have to the poor, if I emptied out all my bank accounts, and if I even sacrificed my body and, and gave up my life, yet... Uh, I could boast about that, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Wow. You know what Paul is saying here? He's saying that all of our actions and deeds are worthless if they are not motivated by love. Love is the point. It's the ball game. Fadling says in his book, love is the primary measure God uses to determine what is valuable and what is worthless? At the end of my life, at the end of your life, we'll be judged. And God will judge all of our actions and deeds through the lens of love. Was it done with the motivation of love? Why is hurry a great enemy to the spiritual life? It's because it makes love impossible. And love is the ball game. In your notes, I wrote it like this. 
hurry and love are opposites. They just are. You can't do both at the same time. See, these guys, this temple priest, this temple assistant, they, 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 they had to be somewhere. They had, to, they had an appointment. They had something to do for God. And so they couldn't both do that and stop and help the guy who was left for dead. They are opposites. Now, the Bible says that God is love. First John chapter 4, verse 8, you can check it out. God is love. He doesn't just love us. I'm thankful he loves us. But he is love. That's his character. Now, if hurry and love are opposites and God is love, that must mean, by default, that God is not, what? In a hurry. Aren't you glad? Can you imagine if God was in a hurry with you? He'd probably just smudge you out. <laughs> You've blown it again. Let's go, you're done. <laughs> Aren't you glad God is not in a hurry with you? Aren't you glad that God is patient with you? Yes or no? Merciful? long-suffering, whatever word you want to use, he's not in a hurry with you. He was never in the hurry. Even from the beginning, he wasn't in the hurry. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve blow it. She believes the lie, gives into temptation, gives some fruit to, to Adam. Knucklehead eats it too, right? You know the story. It's like, oh, it looks good. I guess I'll eat too. Man. So they both plunge into sin. Humanity is plunged into sin because they've given to temptation. You'd think God would just rush in on them, like, what have you done? You know, sprint right at them, like, I can't believe you did that. I had everything set up for you perfectly. Now I'm going to just wipe you out and start over. Does he do that? No. Watch verse 8, Genesis chapter 3. Right after they sinned, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, you could almost picture it in the garden. Everything's just quiet, breeze, warmth. Flowers, trees. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. God's just taking a stroll. They've screwed everything up. And God is walking. You know what the speed of love is? It's a walk. The speed of love is about three to four miles an hour. It's so slow that the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, they hear his steps. They hear him coming. Watch what they do. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. They had enough time to hear his steps. You go, oh, did you hear, do you hear him? He's coming. Let's go over here. Let's go over here. Hide. Get down. As if they could hide from God. Right? Isn't that funny? Like, we, th we think, hey, we still think we can, don't we? He must not be watching. Of course, they couldn't, and God talks to them, but he's not in a rush. He's walking. Peter said it like this. He said, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. Now, think about that. When Christ rose from the grave, that was 2,000 years ago. So, quite literally, in God's time frame, Two days have passed since Jesus rose. Do you think God is in a rush? In fact, many theologians, C.S. Lewis included, thinks that Christianity is just getting started. Because a day with the Lord is a thousand years. God is not in a hurry. He's not rushing. Aren't you glad for, for your own sake that he's not in a hurry? He's patient and he's kind. 
See, if you and I are going to be like God, which we're certainly encouraged by Paul and others, and Jesus himself said, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. If we are going to love God, love people like God loves people, we have to start to slow down. We have to slow down to about three or four miles an hour. Do you agree? And then maybe we can begin to love. So how do we do that? (laughs) How do we slow down enough to love well? That's what I want to talk about the rest of our time today. I've got two ideas for you. Surely I could, we could talk about more than this, but we only have space for two ideas. Let me give you the first one. You and I must make love the top priority. It has to become the most important thing. We must make loving others the most important value in our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this. Three things will last forever. What a statement. Three things and only three things will be eternal. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these three things that will last forever, everything else stays here on earth, your houses, your cars, your clothes, your jewelry, everything you own, it all stays here, end up, ends up in a, being spent or being in a dump somewhere. Three things are eternal, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. I wonder why. I wonder why the most important thing in this life is love. I wonder why. And here's the answer to the question. Because there's always an object when it comes to love. Why did God create the human race? Because he wanted to express his love and receive love from people who have a free will. That's why he made mankind in the first place. The reason love is the most important value, the reason it lasts forever, is because people last forever. People are eternal, and God is eternal, and that's all that matters at the end. That's why love is the greatest of these. So you and I, when we decide to make love the number one value in our life, the primary virtue in our life, we begin to make space for love, because love requires time. So number one, we've got to make love the primary value in our life. Number two, this is really the outworking of number one, we have to let love interrupt our schedule. (laughs) I mean, it's one thing to intellectually say, oh yeah, I believe that. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, this is the great commandment. Love, I I believe. But then it's another thing to like let people, (laughs) let love, I mean, we could use those as synonyms, let people, (laughs) synonyms, that's fun. Let people interrupt us. Like if, if you can't let someone interrupt you, then, then that means that you are in a hurry. Like the reason the temple priest, the temple assistant and the priest walked by the man who was left for dead was because they were in a hurry. And they were the ones who were supposed to be teaching the, 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 the number one commandment from Deuteronomy chapter six, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. They were, the, they, they were the teachers of this truth. And here they are walking by someone who, who's about to die. It's one thing to say it intellectually. It's another thing to let love interrupt your schedule. I love what C.S. Lewis said one time. The great thing, not the good thing, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's, quote, own life or, quote, real life. The truth, of course, is that what one calls interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life that God is sending one day by day. 
Can you imagine if you began to look at people who interrupted you as God's plan for your life? Well, that would change everything. There wouldn't be obstacles to be overcome or people to be pushed out of the way. It'd be God's plan for your life for today. Does anybody know anyone who, who is efficient and productive and yet incredibly unloving. Do you work with anybody like that? In the, in the office? At home? They sure they get a lot of things done. But in their wake, there's dead bodies. There's blood. There's guts. Why? Because the number one value in their life is get things done. Be productive. And if I have to crush you, move you, run over you, shove you, hey, those folks are missing the whole point. What if interruptions, what if the people were actually the life God was sending you today? I love what Henry Nouwen said, famous author, speaker on the, on the spiritual life. He said this, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly being interrupted until I discovered the interruptions were my work. Wow, what an insight. Some of you know who Bob Goff is. Um, he's recently written two fantastic books. This was his first book, Love Does. Recently, he wrote another one called Everybody Always, which is a fantastic read. And his, he, he's an interesting cat. He, he's a lawyer, and he's a speaker, and he's an author, and, and he's like the ambassador to the United States for Uganda. That's strange. He does all this crazy stuff. He's like a sought-after speaker for all the big conferences in the United States. Uh, and he's just living this, this, this outrageous life. And you read about it in the books. And his message is just love. Just love people. Of course, be discerning with it, but, but love people. And I was reading this first book in, a couple of years ago, and in the back, it says, connect with Bob on the last page. This is what Bob writes. If you ever want to talk about any of the ideas in this book, here's my phone number. 1-619-985-4747. I couldn't believe it. Give me a call sometime if that would be helpful. Now, I have never had the courage to call Bob <laughs> because I don't have anything to ask him. It would be more or less a like a, a test to see if he'd pick up. But I have had friends who've called him. I said, oh yeah, Bob picks up. You're kidding me. This guy is influencing the entire world and his phone number is in the book. Now, he's at another level of this whole concept of letting love interrupt you. Like, he actually picks up his cell phone. I'm not even there. Like, you cannot have my cell phone today. I, I thought about it. I was like, maybe I should put my cell phone on the screen. It's like, no way. That's psycho. I don't love you that much, okay? I'm trying, okay? This is a struggle. I don't want to be interrupted that much. But I know, I know that I have to be interrupted. If love is the highest value, if I'm going to stop and help the guy who's beaten up and bloodied and about to die, I have to be willing to say, God, I know I got my schedule and I'm a big planner and I've got things that you want me to do, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to put my schedule aside because the highest value of this love. And so therefore I'm going to stop and binge this, binge this person up and take him to the hospital or whatever they need. I'm not there yet. It's a struggle, but I want to be because love is the ball game. 
So my question today is not, do you want to live an unhurried life? Yes, we've already said that a hurried person and a happy person, those things are opposites. Like you cannot be that way. Like they don't work together. So, So I'm not even going to ask you if you want to live an unhurried life. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you want to love well? That's really the question. Do you want to love well? If the answer is yes to that question, man, your life is going to change God is going to bring people into your life and you're not going to see them as interruptions or obstacles or problems. You're going to see them as opportunities to love. Remember this, proximity is always an opportunity to love. We can't love the whole world, but we can love the person God puts in front of us. Remember this, avoidance is evidence of a hurried soul. If you find yourself passing to the other side of the street because you don't want to deal with the problem, it's a revelation that you have a hurried soul. Avoidance is always the evidence of a hurried soul. You know how it is in Target, in Meyer. You see that person, you know they're a mess, and you're like, oh. <laughs> did they see me, did they see me? I've done it, I've done it, confession time, I've done it. I see some of you out there, I'm like, oh. go. Because if I stop, I know what's going to happen. See? Avoidance is always a strategy or evidence of an unhur- a hurried soul. The Apostle Paul said this, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. I mean, it's so simple. It's so simple like a five-year-old could get that. Oh, I'm supposed to love. Like your whole life is supposed to be an outpouring of love. Following the example of Christ. Two things happen when we do this. Number one, you begin to experience deep, rich, meaningful, satisfying relationships. Why is that? Well, when you take time for people, they feel what? What do they feel? Cared for. People respond in kind. You take time for them, they take time for you. Relationships get better. Jackie and I are getting ready to celebrate 20 years. Some of you know that. August 14th, got that right. And I talk about marriage a lot because it's my most important relationship other than my relationship with Jesus. And so what we do is we just give each other time. And because I give her time and she gives me time and it's just date nights and, you know, getaways and things of that nature, conversations on a daily basis after the kids go to bed, connecting, 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 talking, talking, talking. Because of all of that, over this 20 years, our relationship is solid and it's getting better and better and better. Now, I mess it up like the other day in the car, (laughs) but (laughs) there's a lot of goodness there too. So like we even goof around about it with vacations. We say, hey, you know, we start talking about vacations and my kids are like, is this another one of those ones you're going to leave us home on? It's like, yeah, we are. We're going to leave you home. That's right. And the reason we're going to leave you home is because the marriage relationship is the primary relationship in the home. And so it's God, it's mom and dad, and then you guys are down here. Now, we love you, and we're going to make sure you have food and clothing, and you're healthy, and you can get to school and everything like that. But you're leaving. See how that works? Mom's staying. Like, I'm staying. So long after you guys are gone, mom and dad need to be solid. So we just invest, invest, invest in each other. Deep, meaningful, abiding relationships. That's the first thing that happens when you give people time. Secondly, you have a greater impact. You have a greater impact. I hope you're writing this stuff down. You have a greater impact. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When you give people time, 
they realize, oh my gosh, you're not just telling me how to change my life. You're not just giving me advice. Like you care about me. And, and when people realize that you care about them, they begin to trust you. And when they begin to trust you, they open their heart to you. And then they begin to hear what you have to say about how they're spending their money or about how they're doing relationships or about how they're managing this part of their life or their parenting. But if you just rush in and tell them, oh, you shouldn't parent that way. You shouldn't spend that way. You shouldn't do that way. You shouldn't handle your marriage that way. You shouldn't handle your sexuality that way. They're like, oh, dude, you're preaching at me. Like I've done that. I've given people great answers that would change their life, but, but because they didn't feel loved, they're like, they blocked me. Why? Because I didn't put the time in. I was trying to be efficient. I was trying to get things done. I had a schedule to go to, right? But when you give people time, they open their heart, they, they give you their trust, and you begin to impact them. Now, I don't know about you, but a life well-lived for me, just for me, from what I've seen, read, learned, observed, a life well-lived is, is a life that is spent investing in people, building relationships, and having an impact. At the end of my life, when I'm 85 years old, hopefully I make it that far. I want people, I want there to be a group of people around me, rich, deep, meaningful relationships, people who would say, man, he has impacted my life. That is a successful life, what do you think? Yes? Yes? The Apostle Paul says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Some of you need to hear this part. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Some of you need to hear this message. Because you're not in a relationship with God. Maybe you're agnostic, atheist, person of doubt, person of a different religion. We entered this world sinners. I already mentioned Adam and Eve blew it in the Garden of Eden. They sinned, they ate the fruit. Because of that sin, you and I have entered in this world separated from God. We are sinners. But because of God's love for us, he sent Christ to be the sacrifice. You've heard it before. Jesus comes to this earth, he dies on a cross, he's crucified, three days later he rises again. What is that all about? He is the sacrifice for sin. He paid for your sin. You could not pay for it. You couldn't be good enough, smart enough. You couldn't obey the Ten Commandments enough. He paid the debt you couldn't pay. He sacrificed himself on the cross. Why? So that you could have your sin washed away, so that you could be forgiven, so you could be back in a relationship with God. Not so that you could join a church or a religion, but so that you could be reunited with God by faith. Have you made that decision yet? Have you received God's love? Have you received Christ's sacrifice on the cross for your sins? If you haven't and you feel drawn into this, you're watching online at a different campus, wherever you are right now in this moment, take these words, reach out to Christ, reach out to God in faith and receive his sacrifice. I'll, I'll say a quick prayer. You can close your eyes and bow your heart. And pray with me if you feel led to. Just say this to him. Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice, for dying in my place, for paying the penalty for my sin. Please forgive me. Wash me of all my sin. Cleanse my soul. Fill me with your spirit and make me your child put my confidence, my faith in you as the Savior. 
teach me from this day forward to love you, to honor you, and to obey you with my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory today? Come on, nice and loud, amen. If you prayed that prayer, whatever campus you're at, online, we're here at the Greenwood campus, we wanna give you a free gift. It's a copy of the New Testament. It's a New Believer's New Testament. If you trusted Christ today, wherever you are, there's tables in the back. Please grab one of these on the way out. Someone did it for me when I put my faith in Christ. I began reading the scriptures and God began to change my life. Can we give God glory one more time, guys? Amen, nice and loud. Come on, nice and loud. Amen, all across all our campuses.